But first to Washington. Welcome Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma. Bruce, uh, the situation in Israel and Gaza dominates all the world at the moment. Let's start with uh, Blinken's uh, echoing of uh, Kissinger and his desperate mission to the region. Well, desperate seems to be the word. Um, You know, on the one hand, there's been the drive to try to persuade Israel to engage in, depending on your perspective, a humanitarian pause, a truce, a ceasefire, a, a window in which humanitarian aid can flow, um, which the Netanyahu coalition has steadfastly resisted. At the same time, there's the kind of equally desperate push, not only to to pause the death and the suffering in Gaza, um, but to keep the war from widening. And on that score, um, Secretary of State Blinken, who has been rushing from country to country, uh, to Iraq, to the West Bank, to meet with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, uh, to to Jerusalem, uh, to Egypt, seems to be having uh, perhaps a bit more success. Uh, there was, of course, um, the speech by uh, Hezbollah's leader, uh, which seemed to back off of the threat of wider war. We've even had hints from Iran that they are willing to somehow be interlocutors in this. At the moment, there is seems to be a fragile desire on the part of many players that the U.S. Uh, continue this kind of shuttle diplomacy trying to keep a lid, if not on Gaza, then on a broader and even more destabilizing and more horrific There's um, dissent everywhere, right, left conflict. and center, but I understand there's growing dissent in the U.S. State Department. Well, indeed, and that's one of the many channels pressing on the Biden administration's back is internally at you know USAID dozens of of staffers signed an internal letter um, protesting against the sort of unconditional aid to Israel for this bombardment um, and we had Josh Paul a high level long-term career state department official um, in charge of arms transfers resign last week in a in a kind of singular act of conscience. Um, you know, at the same time, there are also big factions in the State Department, as there are within the Democratic Party and even within the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, that have not gone down the ceasefire road. Even interestingly, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, while calling for a humanitarian pause, has... Um, stayed within the the terrain of Israel defending itself in response to Hamas's October 7th attack. That's not true of other progressives in Congress. Uh, you, know, you have uh, Rashad Tlaib, a uh, Palestinian-American, but also AOC and others who've been openly calling for a ceasefire. 
and in a few cases really uh, harshly criticizing President Biden. And you have as well growing pressure from um, Muslim American communities, which voted overwhelmingly for Biden um, in 2020, now looking at their support and wondering what to do. The, the, the political math of this for the Biden administration is very complex, though I will say at, at this time that what seems to be driving President Biden, Secretary of State Blinken, is not so much that kind of cold domestic political calculation. It does seem to be some kind of genuine desire not only to bring a halt to um, the, the immediate violence, but to revive in some, again, desperate way out of, out of this horrific time, um, the promise of a two-state solution. Um, something that President Biden would, of course, very much like to be associated which, with, which each of his successors, each of his predecessors have failed at. Bruce, uh, American university campuses are, uh, are deeply divided on the war. I understand uh, you've witnessed one at your own uh, Columbia University. Well, Columbia, you know, Columbia has had a fair amount of protest over this, as many universities have. Um, there are uh, pro-Israel students. There are pro-Palestinian students. There have been vociferous protests, very, very emotional ones. The university has also, however, become, partly because of being in New York, partly because of it being a pretty politicized campus, has become ground zero in a, a big national debate over the limits of free speech on campus uh, and how to understand the various kinds of student protests and campus uh, movements that have arisen in the wake of this war. Um, there I understand been, that uh, at your place the, uh, the two sides stood just yards apart, but of course ideologically the distance was, was immense. Well, and, you know, it's one thing for protesters to stand yards apart. It is also very much the case that there have been anti-Semitic attacks on students, on Jewish students at my campus, one, one physical assault. A lot of students, including students of mine who are Jewish, expressing fear for their safety, expressing concern um, about either being attacked or being um, doxxed and otherwise um, challenged. Sorry, what, what's, what's doxxed? Uh, oh, you have to understand what's going, what's roiling campuses on both sides of this issue. You've got to understand doxing. Doxing is uh, uh, political opponents of someone using, or 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 even just plain old vandals, scouring the internet for the personal details, the documents, the docs uh, of someone, putting their home address, their home phone number other information out. Um, Palestinian, pro-Palestinian students at Columbia and other universities have had um, pro-Israel trucks driving around broadcasting the personal details of students who signed contentious, uh, contentious petitions. And at Columbia, this now has drawn in the faculty. We have dueling faculty factions. Uh, one eloquent letter 
defending student uh, critics of Israel pointing out that it, you shouldn't uh, conflate critic all criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. Another letter pointing out that that first letter did not mention the word Hamas, pointing out that um, there's simply uh, all kinds of, of anti-human rights fallacies in neglecting the horrific anti-Semitic nature, the specific attacks on Jews of the events of October 7th. It's a very, very emotional moment that is drawing in some of the most important scholars on our campus and on campuses all over the country. And that, in turn, is affecting donors. There have been donors who have pulled away from Harvard and other universities. My own university canceled its annual giving day amid this atmosphere for fear that it would become contentious. Um, it's, a, it's a moment when the traditional role of free expression on college campuses is being profoundly tested. It's time, I think, to proffer America congratulations because the uh, U.S. finally has a speaker in a Republican, Mike Johnson. I understand he's a bit of a Bible basher. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he has said, if you want to know my constitutional views, <laughs> open up the Bible. Um, he, he is... He was elected after all of those failed attempts by powerful Republicans. He's someone few had heard of from Louisiana. Um, but he is probably the farthest to the right, right uh, in not only Christian terms, but kind of Trumpian ideological terms. He is someone who, um, who uh, defended Former President Trump's uh, former President Trump after the election tried to file a, a lawsuit, uh, signed on to a lawsuit um, challenging President Biden's victory way back then, uh, and even now in the scant number of days he's been in Congress, he put forth a bill. On the one hand, his first bill was to provide funding for Israel, but doing so by cutting money for Ukraine and by cutting funding for the IRS. So we're going to spend more money, but we're going to spend less time collecting taxes. Um, he's viewed as um, a representative of the radical Christian right on abortion terms and on, on gay rights. Um, and it's not clear what, if anything, he'll be able to get past Congress. He is, he is liked personally more than, let's say, Jim Jordan, uh, who failed before him. Um, he, he does have a reputation as someone who communicates in a civil way. But thus far, um, the positions he's articulated are dead on arrival, not only with Democrats in the House, but with Senator Mitch McConnell and Republicans in the Senate who want to see funding for the IRS, who want to see funding for Ukraine as well as Israel, um, and who want to see a budget passed in a few weeks' time. All of this matters because we are up against another one of those budget brinksmanship, brinksmanship moments later this month. And, um, you know, Mike Johnson's ability to shepherd any legislation at all through this fractious caucus is going to be severely tested. Now, we're a year away from the uh, next election and uh, there are concerns, of course, about uh, Joe's polling in um, some key swing states, Bruce. Oh, yeah, this is, it's a kind of a stunning 
poll, a New York Times Siena poll out today that shows that in six of the seven battleground states, those that uh, Biden won and which swung the Electoral College his way, at this moment, a year out, Trump is running ahead. And indeed, not only is Trump running ahead, but if Democrats nominated an unnamed candidate, that unnamed candidate would do better than Joe Biden at this moment. Now, it should be said before everyone's hearts leap into their mouths, it should be said that at this point um, in the last couple of midterm elections um, or second term elections, um, Barack Obama was similarly behind his opponent. Uh, Bill Clinton was similarly behind his opponent. So you can't read too, too much into it. But the terrain among Democrats, the unhappiness of Democrats with Biden as the only choice is showing. And it's issues like age, it's issues like the the health of the economy that are testing Democrats' enthusiasm. I think, you know, Trump remains wildly unpopular. The question is, will black communities turn out? One of the alarming things for Democrats in this poll is that a larger percentage, now up to 22% of African-American voters say they would look at Trump. Will uh, Latino voters turn out? Will traditional young voters turn out? Under 30, Biden's, uh, among younger voters, Biden's um, popularity is really down in the tank. So the president has a lot of work to do. Democrats have a lot of work to do over the course of the next year to restore a sense of confidence, particularly at a moment when the world does seem in such frightening shape. Or find another candidate. Now, finally, briefly, uh, the Donald has been trading blows with the judge in his fraud trial. Oh, President Trump was in court in New York City, where, bear in mind, he's already been found guilty of fraud. And the only question is how much of a penalty he's going to pay and whether he's going to have to give up his businesses. Um, And it's very clear, looking at the testimony from today, looking at accounts and transcripts of it, that his own lawyers could not control their client. He was repeatedly dumping on the judge in a very unwise way. At one point, the judge actually beseeched the president's own, former president's own lawyer to control his client. This is not going well. Uh, You have to believe that former President Trump is uh, trying to set a tone for his other trials rather than trying to win this one in which he has already lost. Uh, He is being a, a belligerent, rambling, and often untrue witness on his own behalf. Shock and amazement. Bruce, thanks for that. (laughs) Bruce Shapiro, uh, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. And he will be back in a fortnight with more glum tidings. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.